Hey listeners, this is William Sterling, and you're listening to the Killer Mediums Podcast, where we talk about all of your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is Mothman, and we are joined by guest Laurel Hightower. As a warning, this is an incredibly spoiler-heavy podcast, so if you'd like to avoid spoilers for any of today's topics, especially Hightower's Below, Keel's book The Mothman Prophecies, or The Mothman Prophecies film, then turn back now. Uh, but with that said and out of the way, here we go, let's get spooky. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. This episode of Killer Mediums has been brought to you by Zencaster. Zencaster is my podcast recording station of choice. Not only does it make it easy for me to reach out to guests and to coordinate interviews without a bunch of create account prompts, but it also has a bunch of cool production tools for the back end of recordings, including a filler word removal feature that automatically removes all the ums and the ahs that plague my interviews. It saved me so much time on the editing floor. Uh, Want to get started? Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code KILLERMEDIUMS with no space. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It is time to share your story. Laurel, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you, William. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, it is a good Saturday. The weather's starting to turn. We are out of miserable, like, 3,000-degree heat all the time. Oh, Loving life. <laughs> so let's dive straight into this, because I have a feeling, just like listening to podcasts with you and even just like our 10 seconds before we start recording here, I feel like we're going to talk a lot today. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've kind of got two topics Russian nesting dolled inside of each other here today. We've got cryptids that we're going to talk about kind of generically and then very specifically we want to talk about the mothman cryptids so with the first one what is a cryptid that yeah so a cryptid and this is not going to be like the webster's you know (laughs) version of it but to my understanding a cryptid is like it's a an animal type critter that it doesn't fit into the taxonomy of what we understand with respect to typical animal life on this planet um, and I know that sometimes that is because it seems to be merged with humanity in some ways. In other ways, it's simply, you know, something that's not exactly provable and falls more into the realm of what people would sometimes consider fantasy um, with respect to the possibility of it. Um, but there's a whole, you know, there's a whole realm of them out there. Yeah. So like Bigfoot, Yeti, Abominable <laughs> Snowman are the obvious one, but then we've got the the Jersey City Devil, we've got the Loch Ness Monster, like we've got Mothman, and I know Mothman has a special place in your heart. Uh, so who, what is Mothman? Because that's not one of the more familiar ones that I could just walk up to a rando on the street and go, hey, Mothman episode, what do you think? Like most people just don't don't have a lot of context for Mothman. What is the story behind this thing generally? And then I want to start getting personal a little bit. Like what connected you to Mothman? Okay. How did this become your thing? It, it really did kind of become my thing, didn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is good. What a legacy, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. I can, I can die now. Um, 
but uh, so Mothman, um, Mothman was made, was popularized, I suppose, or mostly reported on by John Keel, who was a journalist. Um, and he was active for a number of years. He was kind of known for, you know, uh, tapping into sort of like the outer reaches of, of, I don't even know if you would say news, like, but like research subjects and things like that. He's, he was a, you know, big, he would not have called himself an, a ufologist, but he was very much delved into that, I think. Um, and so he, in the, between 1968 and 1969, he was in, uh, in and out of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, investigating claims of um, multiple claims within that city of, of a large, like 10 foot um, moth-like creature with red eyes. There would be um, appearances, you know, described by various members of, of the population there. And it was interesting because um, most of the people who were making these claims were not who you would consider to be like crackpots or the sort of, you know, these were like kind of like farming folk, very stoic, you know, type of folks. Um, there was a lot of other stuff that went along with it with respect to like what appeared to be sort of radiation burns on many people who encountered him. Um, in addition to which there was, there was all this interesting, um, like tech stuff where, people would have received a phone call from let's let's just say Jonathan Keel because that happened quite a bit they would they would swear that they had just spoken to Jonathan Keel he had told them like they would swear in a court of law that was his his voice this was in the 60s when the you know software was not in place really to to kind of make those mimicries um there was a lot of weird stuff with the phones like where they would be able to call directly from his number um and, you know, all kinds of weird stuff like that happened. People showed up who who were pretended to be him, looked exactly like him. And it wasn't just him. This happened quite a bit. It was a lot of just weird stuff that was never fully explained and kind of culminated essentially in the collapse of the Silver Bridge, which led between Point Pleasant and um, Ohio. Um, and it was a major catastrophe. I think it was like 36 people died in that range, like upper thirties. Um, and yeah, the, yeah, I don't, I don't want to misquote and leave somebody out, but, um, part of what was tied into it was the Mothman creature, um, was reported to make prophecies was reported to, to state, you know, that, that some kind of major, um, tragedy was going to happen. And I think he, named a couple that that turned out to be true and then there was this um i think it was tragedy along the ohio river or something like that um and then yeah it culminated with this collapse of the silver bridge so that in a, to a lot of people i think sort of cemented the reality or believability of what went on there so yeah it's it's mostly been i think that's that's why it's in popular culture at all um, and significantly more so, of course, because of the Mothman Prophecies film that came out in like 2002 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so it was it was 46 people dead at the oh, uh, 46. At Silver okay. Bridge. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we'll dive into this a lot more when we get to the Keel book itself. But something that struck me as I was trying to dig into all the Mothman stuff was that this felt a lot bigger than just your typical like 
weird creature showing yes. up in the woods. Yeah, uh, it's not it's not a Loch Ness monster confined to one lake, or it's not Bigfoot uh, kind of confined to the woods and like popping out, and not really doing anything, just like walking around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's 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 like you were saying the phone lines it's connected to uh these people showing up uh around point pleasant and like being sort of kind of human but not fully human like 90 mm-hmm. percent there with their speech patterns and how they're interacting people but with just crazy stuff being off about them like it feels like this whole whole uh where's my word here paranoia conglomerate i that's not a thing but whatever maybe it gets the <laughs> you just made it a thing i think it's applicable <laughs> sure um it, it, it's a whole thing um but one thing that you didn't mention um that i'm i'm kind of concerned about you didn't bring up mothman's ass a single time in the explanation of who <laughs> <Mothman> <laughs> <is>. <laughs> yeah because oddly it's never mentioned in keel's book i don't know why he does not mention mothman's ass even once um, you know, I, I feel like that's a major, uh, major failing on his part and I blame his editors as well, but yeah, I don't, that <laughs> Mothman statue, if for anybody who wonders why we're talking about Math- Mothman's posterior, um, the Mothman statue in Point Pleasant has like this incredibly stacked ass. It is really impressive. Like, I just, I don't know, but it's, it's amazing. It's a great ass. I just... I want to have a sit down with that artist at some point. <laughs> like, okay, you were you were tasked with making a Mothman uh, statue, so we've got the eyes. Like, figure out a way to do red glowing eyes, or figure out a way to make it like float in the air. Or, no, we're going butt. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are putting all of our money and all of our focus on that. And the rest of the statue will be all right too. Uh, but yeah, so okay, with uh, with all of that with Mothman, we. We're still, um, how did you get connected to the Mothman then? Because I know you're a Kentucky resident, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Kentucky, West Virginia, neighbors, but maybe not like, maybe it's not just like a proximity connection with you. Like what's your, what's your thing with Mothman here? Yeah. So it's, it wasn't, it didn't really have anything to do with proximity though. Although it, it's nice to have it within striking distance. You know, it, it is really close. Uh, Point Pleasant's, I think about three hours away from me. So that's not bad. Um, I, I can't say that I had like a major connection with Mothman, like my whole life or anything, but I did find it. So, I mean, you know, like I watched the film when it came out back in 2002 and watched it a few times and was interested in the ambiguity of it. I was interested in the fact that, and this is no shade to other cryptids or other people who experience it, you know, but it's like, there, like you said, there was so much more to it. It wasn't just a matter of who is Mothman and what's he doing here and does he really exist? It was, what is all this other shit? You know, what's he doing here? Is he causing these things like the radiation burns? Is he causing the other kind of sightings, the the time slips, the the interruptions in electromagnetic fields that occurred? A lot of the stuff that you associate with UFO experiences, you know. Um, and I just thought that was so interesting that it's a question that's never answered. And, you know, initially a lot of it had to do with the relationships that were depicted in that movie. Cause I'm, I'm a very character driven author. Um, I like to start with a character. I like to build something around them. And to me, I really appreciated that movie in the sense that they had, you know, Richard Gere's character, 
Um, there was the experience with his wife and then Laura Lenny's character when he goes, you know, to Point Pleasant. And it's a scene that always stuck out to me, even though I hadn't seen it for years and years, but where, you know, he's expecting this call. He's gotten sucked down this rabbit hole, right? Um, of thinking that it's going to be his dead wife calling him. And, um, you know, that, of course, is something I explored a little bit in Crossroads, too. But the reason I explored it there is because it's such a, a poignant and interesting concept to me is these communications from the dead and at what point they become a hindrance rather than, you know, something intriguing or heartwarming or something like that. And I thought it was so cool that Laura Lenny's character is keeping him on the phone just very calmly and not like trying, you know, just saying like giving him the opportunity to let go of that obsession. Um, and that was very striking to me. And so then um, a number of years later, I came across Keel's book uh, and and bought it to read because I thought, and it may have even been after I watched Hellier, which is, you know, which is located in Kentucky. Um, and I think they, it's not like it was about Mothman, but I think there were some references there. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of interested in this. So I bought and read the book cover to cover and realized how much more there was to it. Um, and, you know, because I feel like I am not exactly a creature feature author. In fact, I, I got a whole lot of surprise when it was like, you wrote a what now? You know, because that's it's not really my forte. And I think if I had tried to write a book about like Bigfoot, it's that same thing. I, it's It would be a chomp and stomp or, a you know, something like that that wasn't really something that I do well. And with this, it was like there's so much more to it, the ambiguity to it, the relationship aspect, the way that you get pulled into it, the obsession. Um, I feel like there was just so much more there to it that I wanted to explore that I felt like would give me space to do that. Nice. I Okay, so you hit on a little bit of everything that we're going to build into here. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> no, no, this is great. Like the stage is set and we've got our whole, awesome. whole discussion lined up now. Um, but listeners, so... The way we're going to approach this is I want to kind of start with the Keel book um, and just talk about just what is the blueprint for all the rest of the Mothman stuff moving forward. Uh, what is what is the background and the history associated with all of this? Because the Keel book, Keel book lays that all out very well. Then we'll move into the movie that Laurel was talking about. And then we're going to wrap up with Laurel's own book below, uh, which which brings all of this to nest in a very like personal story that i enjoyed a lot thank you um, very much yeah of course uh but with keel's book so uh my experience with the keel book was kind of odd because i went into it expecting a novel i mm -hmm. i read everything ass backwards here uh i ha, mothman joke um, <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be the title of this episode ass backwards ass backwards the, the episode <laughs> Uh, but I read below, and it's got all of these elements of the Mothman story built in, and I was a little bit lost because I was going, okay, which which parts of this are Mothman and which parts aren't? Yeah. And it turns out all of them were, and I just wasn't I wasn't aware of that as I was going through it. So I read below first, then I came back to the Keel book, and I was expecting another novel. I was expecting like a main character and this progression, this story arc, kind of like you set up. And it is not that at all. No. Um, the Keel book reads more like a list of like journal entries about yeah. 
event that happened in Point Pleasant, then event, then event, then event, then event. And occasionally we'll have Keel adding his own concepts about what could be going on here. But for the most part, he it seems like he's trying to take this very journalistic approach of, I'm just going to report the facts. Yeah. Um, what are some of, I guess we've kind of already talked about this, but in the Keel book, what are some of the highlight moments um, that define the the Mothman mythos for you? What are some of the standout stories from there that really drove home the potential terror of this thing? Uh, are, are there any of those entries that you're you're really focused on, in tune with? Not sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think so. The at this point, it's been a couple years since I've read it. I am actually currently reading another book by Keel that is called, like I think it's Our Haunted Planet, and um, okay. it's the same sort of deal where there's a like an it's just extremely broad strokes of all this like planet wide stuff, you know, Atlantis and um, and Men in Black and just all, you know all of these things. And and I got to say, like Keel is funny because he has this sort of like lofty approach, like you know, and, and the Mothman Prophecies is written as, and I accept it as a nonfiction account. I, ex- I, I just accept that what he's reporting there is what people told him and that they believed it. Um, none of that means that it specifically has to mean that, oh, okay, definitely Mothman, definitely UFOs, anything like this, but I just accept it as a nonfiction account. Um, and so, yeah, you know, with, with this kind of stuff, he's got this lofty view of like, okay, I'm, you know, in the, in the Haunted Planet book, he's, he's like, oh, well, you know, all these people want to believe in Atlantis or they want to believe in this or that. And it's, and it's like, you know, you can't, you can't just fit everything in one theory. And then he proceeds to tie himself in knots trying to fit everything into his theory, which is that there are these, what he calls ultra terrestrials, okay. which was the conclusion he reached in the Mothman prophecies as well. So with respect to the Mothman prophecies, I don't like, you know, I kind of remember some of like the individual incidents. Um, to me, the the ones that were more interesting were not necessarily the ones that involved John himself, because a lot of what he was doing, as you mentioned, is sort of it's journalistic. It's, you know, kind of an attempt at a scientific method. It's OK. There have been these sightings in this spot. So I'm going to wait here. And then my, you know, my watch stopped or this happened or that happened or something flew overhead. Um, again, being character driven, the the things that really struck me were the were the people, the citizens who had these interactions and it, and it changed their lives. Um, you know, in, in some ways, some of them were, were physically um, affected in ways, you know, their vision, um, skin burns, you know, things like that. And then also it just, you know, you got to think about somebody who, and I, I am, I'm a Southerner myself um, and I'm not going to fall into the trap of, of attempting to simplify a people and saying, well, you know, these people have never thought of something like this. I mean, nobody is a conglomerate, you know, no, it's right. people have thoughts, they have interests, they have whatever, but living in this type of environment at that type of time, you can imagine how badly this knocked the ground up from underneath their feet to have these experiences. And to me, that was just very intriguing. And then to have the extremely human element of the loss, um, of the tragedy with the silver bridge. Um, I'm sure in some ways that's a little bit of that macabre, like, you know, we're drawn to these big tragedies, but what was really striking to me and what I feel like Keel did a good job of conveying in the book was, was the scope of this with respect to the town that was involved. Now at no point is loss of, did you say it was 46 people? Yes. 
Okay, at no point is a loss of 46 people or even one person nothing to, you know, nothing. Like, oh, that's not even interesting. It's not about that. But when you look at a population this size, and he's talking about people's experiences, like right up to it and what they heard and, you know, so-and-so's fiance was crossing the bridge and all this kind of stuff where he brings that human element into it of who was lost at this time. There is not a single person in that city that didn't lose someone. And to imagine the scope of that and how it affects everyone for the rest of their lives um, was just very intriguing to me. And when you tie that in with the notion, and this is, you know, this is part of why I explore grief and part of why I explore, explore ghosts and things. It's, it's this idea of what can you stop? What do I have control over? Um, and when you suffer a loss, it's what could I have done? And so when you add this prophetic element into it that Mothman's bringing into it, it's, you know, it's like, uh, was there, is he giving us an opportunity to stop it? Is that what his purpose is? You know, and so that kind of thing was very interesting to me to explore that aspect of it. Because when you view it from, you know, again, from somebody who's not involved in it or anything, you can kind of look at it and analyze and say, like, I don't think there was any chance for anybody to do anything here. But when you're involved and you're the one with a loss, it would be hard to set that notion aside. Yeah, I let's dive a little more into the prophecies aspect of it, uh, because I think that is a big element here is uh, Keel kind of playing around with this notion of if Mothman is real and he definitely seems to be leaning towards it's real. Like there's way too many things surrounding Point Pleasant and surrounding these sightings for it to be purely coincidence. um, It feels like, is it picking up my mic right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, So um, he seems to believe that Mothman's real. Um, He's also got a whole lot of, uh, stories about Mothman and these other random figures that kind of mm-hmm. show up out of nowhere communicating with people and telling them things. Right. Um, and I feel like that's something that sets Mothman apart from the other cryptids also is whereas Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and the, the, Jersey, City, the Jersey Devil, um, they all kind of feel like they're trying to hide in the shadows, they're trying to not be found. Mothman comes right up and straight up talks to people sometimes yeah <laughs> um and and tells them these things about their lives or what's about to happen so it's this kind of new element to play with that we don't see with a lot of the rest of them um kind of like you're saying uh it's interesting to try to wrap our head around mothman as a hero figure or a villain figure or anything like that in this mythos because it does have this prophetic um, lean to it. And are those prophecies a good thing or a bad thing? Like if, if the silver bridge is about to collapse and some alien esque figure comes and tells you that the bridge is about to collapse, is that good or bad? (laughs) Um, Can, can you go to the rest of your town and actually convince them that something bad's going to happen, get off the bridge or 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 not are you just burdened with this knowledge now that there's going to be a tragedy on the ohio river and i've just got to sit here and watch it yeah Um, terrifying it is and i have to lean towards the idea of without and i thought this was something that they did really well in the movie in the mothman prophecies movie 
when they, you know, when they find their wise sage, like professor dude, and he talks about like, you know, and, and, and they're like, well, why, why isn't he being more clear? You know, why isn't he explaining himself? And he's like, well, would you bother explaining yourself to a cockroach? And to me, that makes a lot of sense. And it's also, um, I used to have a really hard time with ambiguity. I'm an extremely literal thinker. And so when I would read like a short story that I wasn't sure what the ending was, I would be so pissed off. I'd be like, well, I need answers. Like, I, you know, I need this to be completely defined for me. I need to know exactly what happened. And I don't want to have theories. I need an answer. Um, but, you know, the older I got, the more I explored it. And when you look at stuff like this, it is so rare in life that we get a flat answer. I feel like we are consistently asking ourselves, why would this person do that? Or why would this person do it to me? Or why didn't they do it this other way? Um, and a lot of times you just never get an answer. You know, there just isn't one. And I think that's something that makes it a little bit more, you know, just realistic. And so in this, like, I got to say, in in a lot of ways, I feel like Mothman's kind of a douchebag. Like, I, you know, I think it's like, uh, there's no way, honestly, even if he showed up and was like, so on this date, at this time, motherfucking bridge is going to collapse. It's going to be 46 people. This is what the problem is with the underpinnings. If you go and speak with the U.S., you know, Department of Army Engineers, you can solve this right now. Even with that, I'm not for sure that you'd have been able to do anything about it. Because, again, there's the matter of, like, believability. Um, but, you know, there would have been a chance. But when you just say something, you throw it out there that it's like, I don't know, it's going to be a tragedy. I don't know when. <laughs> I don't know what. Or maybe I do, and I'm not going to tell you. So that's just setting you up to go down this rabbit hole and then feel like, you know, be totally powerless to do anything about it. And then obsess about it literally the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's kind of a D-bag move in my opinion, you know. For sure. It, it's just setting you up to fail one way or the other. <laughs> okay, so let's kind of take this into the movie now because what we're talking about kind of is the core concept of the movie. So Richard Gere loses his wife very early on in the movie uh, because of an encounter with Mothman and the 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 wife dies and at the very end she's drawing these pictures of mothman and the nurse walks in and says uh something along the lines of oh well she must have gone to heaven because she was sitting here drawing angels yeah richard gear is kind of turning the page side to side like <laughs> is this mothman or is this an angel I don't, I don't know. and it kind of plays to this notion too of like all right this this could be amazing empowering knowledge if it was given in a way that was actually you know useful but instead mothman decides to be a dick about it um, <laughs> well and i'm around i'm gonna back you up on that because something that you said about it you know that she that she dies as a result of this interaction with mothman so this is something that's interesting from the prophetic element of it too she dies from a glioblastoma i believe she dies from a tumor and it was the car accident that Mothman caused that allowed the tumor to be discovered. So when you look at it from that prospect, you're like, hmm, you know, and of course there was nothing really that could have been done at that point. It was untreatable. She ends up dying anyway, but it was only through the mechanisms of Mothman that that tumor was found at all. So it's like, okay, again, was this an attempt to try to help somebody you know or was it again just like a, an overall part of this 
overarching plan or, or desire to just draw people into this mystery. Or was it just Mothman being a dick? Your wife is going <laughs> to die. Hey, look at this. <laughs> Your wife's going to die. I'm going to smack her in the face first real hard. Right. <laughs> Let's give her a concussion on top of it. Uh, eat some steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That'll help. Um, but then, okay, so after after that initial setup of wife goes, Richard Gears has had this encounter with Mothman. Um has a has a taste of it himself after that the movie has kind of a fun time walking richard gear through a lot of the stories from keel's book mm-hmm. it's all kind of boiled down and given to us through gear's character um but it's a lot of things that if everybody's to be believed happened in real life so um, he teleports hundreds of miles and just shows up in front of somebody's door one night, like Keel claims happened to him. He, he mm-hmm. just shows up at a person's house with no recollection of how he got there and no clue of where the house even is or who the people are. Um, we've got all of these little visions and phone calls happening with voices on the other end talking to him, pretending to be people that they're not. Um, in your uh, professional opinion, does using Richard Gere as a vehicle for all of these happenings really work as a movie? I think so. Okay. I felt like it was, it was successful, that it was effective in, in that way because, and what I appreciated was that they didn't do the Dana Scully syndrome where he had to deny absolutely everything. And he also wasn't Fox Mulder where, where he completely bought into everything. It was, he was a journalist and he went there having had this other experience that he can't explain and, and hasn't really tried to either. Um, and so he comes at it from that aspect and he just explores. He has questions. Other people that he encounters have questions. They kind of come together and start seeking answers to these questions. Um, and it's done from an outsider's perspective as as it would be if you were personally exploring something like this. You go and you judge um, the believability, the uh, mental stability of people, which the, the only way that you can judge that really is, you know, the medical examinations that one of the guys puts himself through. And then just how does it feel when you're speaking to that? What kind of feel do you get from that? You know, and, and that's all he has to go with, but I think it's very effective. And in particular, giving him the you know, the story aspect of, of the dead wife, which makes him very susceptible um, to being pulled in by this because they have, they have a carrot they can dangle in front of him. So I thought it was a really excellent vehicle for it. And, um, and really allow, I, I was surprised because I went back and watched the movie after having read the book. Um, and I was surprised at how well I felt like it adhered to that, um, to just the whole unanswerable, fashion of 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 the encounters so my experience with this movie i had two experiences the first experience with this movie was when i was in middle school i was at my best friend's house we had gotten a bunch of scary movies to try to watch and we watched m night Shyamalan signs which was exactly what middle school boy was looking for (laughs) in a horror movie And then we watched this right after the fact, and both me and Corey turned the movie off at the end and just looked at each other like, what the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) 
there there was no like monster running around eating people there was nothing like what so for the longest time i've had this weird distaste in my mouth of mothman prophecies of just being this convoluted like weird aimless story (laughs) and i think even when i wrote the show notes for this episode that was still kind of in the forefront of my mind like oh that night we wasted with Corey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but going back and watching it now I get why I didn't like it as a middle schooler, but mm-hmm. slightly more mature now, hopefully, possibly. <laughs> um, I'm seeing the nuance in it now. I'm seeing the connections to Keel's work. Like it works much better as a as a piece of the whole, as opposed to just going into it expecting some slasher flick. Um, right. Yeah. It's it's yeah. very cerebral. All of this is, mm-hmm. and it's quiet. Um, the scariest parts of this are the quiet parts. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not for just for me, for my personal preferences, um, you know, horror stories that explore like, oh no, are you losing your mind? Are you insane? Like they don't always really hit me well. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I don't feel like that's, I guess it's not something I worry about too much, which maybe just tells me I'm already insane. I don't know. But, you know, it's just not something that's that's super – it's not always the greatest element to me, like depending on how it's done. Um, I don't always enjoy it. But with this, you see what is essentially an everyman. Um, and obsession, I think, is something we can all understand, in particular when it comes to relationships um, and, you know, these these sort of intrusive thoughts and these spirals that we can get into – And so to me, the quiet of that and the relatability of whether he could do something about it and the fact that honestly, he doesn't want to believe this shit. He does not want to. He did not come there wanting to believe. He isn't Fox Mulder. He came there not even wanting to be there, you know, and and sort of gets into this against his own will. And to me, those kinds of things where, you know, the idea too, and it's funny because it's like you get this whole like, oh, you know, you got to stay away from this. You're being warned to stay away. It's like, no, they seriously keep throwing him fucking catnip to follow. <laughs> you know, it's like when you got when you got Indrid Cold calling you and being like, yeah, here's all this shit I know about you. Like, that's not going to make anyone stop. Like, oh, well, all my questions are answered now. Cool. I'm going to go back. This is all good. You know, it's it's obviously meant to kind of draw him forward. And, and those sorts of things are very disconcerting but you know i agree with you i'm i'm older than you so i think i was um like maybe 20 when mothman prophecies came out yeah 2002 i'd have been 20 um so i enjoyed it i didn't dislike it but i don't think it was as scary to me as it was when i rewatched it as far as like the the moments of it the the ambiance the way that they built it i think that it it meant more to me as a more as a more grown adult yeah and i'm I'm also in this really awesome position right now where I watched a bunch of movies for this season of the podcast, kind of back to back to back. And there's this running theme through them. Um, For the Paul Tremblay episode, I watched Take Shelter, which is Michael Shannon losing his mind to, I forget if it's dementia or something along those lines, Mm. um, and having these paranoid delusions and being driven by this self inflicted possession uh, obsession Mm -hmm. almost and then for the todd kiesling episode i watched a dark song which is all about this lady going through an occult ritual to try to talk to her dead son again very crossroads ish (laughs) Um, 
but but she's doing that and she's doing this potentially just paranoid obsessive act in in this desperate attempt to talk to one more person and then i watched pontheran prophecies right at the end of this and it's again somebody driven by this obsessive probably delusional hope to try to talk to their wife again and i'm just sitting back going okay there's a theme here. Um, the, you themed your season and you didn't even know it. <laughs> right. And they're they're all done so well, but from slightly different angles, like that that inner drive to do the the crazy thing versus that uh, very, very um, personal relationship drive with the dead son to do the the obsessive thing versus the totally external mothman drive to do the thing and i know mothman kind of uses uses richard Gere's dead wife as a as a lure also Mm -hmm. uh to try to drive some of his some of his point pleasantness um but it's just interesting (laughs) that needs to be a phrase point pleasantness (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's just interesting to see all three of those different angles driving people along the same basic road and seeing them all done pretty effectively, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, external motivation versus internal motivation versus, I guess, right next to you, motivation. <laughs> um, which one? Which one do you think is maybe the strongest for a person? Which one would most likely drive you into the throes of insanity? um i'm see and that's interesting i actually have not watched either one of the other films that you mentioned but you know i certainly understand from what you've said like the the thematic variations there on it and really i can see any of them being very effective because um you know just and, and again when i say that you know the oh you're going crazy trope doesn't usually catch my interest that is you know i i don't have uh I don't have family members, you know, who may have experienced that sort of thing. Like it's, it's all a matter of your experience to me. It's kind of an alien concept sort of thing. I I don't know. Um, But you know, these other things, like just the general idea, Oh, going crazy. That doesn't, it doesn't mean as much to me as here's the thread that you follow to get there. Um, And dementia is something that I feel like a lot of people can understand and be very freaked out by um, because that is, I mean, it's a physical thing to you. Um, now, obviously, mental illness is not something that's any less uh, important, you know, but I, I guess it's like dementia can just, you know, it's, you know, it's the physical breakdown of your brain um, as you get older. And it's it's such a scary concept. And I think a lot of us have see, have either been related to or, you know, seen or just known of somebody who's had that type of descent. Um, and that is disconcerting. But I again, to me, I sort of feel a little bit like, and maybe it's because I am (laughs) in some ways like conflict avoidant. I can sort of see myself being like, okay, well, I don't have to do much now. (laughs) I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to sit here. This is cool. This is fine with me. I'm very tired. It's, you know, time to have a break. Um, But I mean, really, I can see any of them being super effective. And I think it just depends on the nature of your relationships and nature of your personality. Um, For me, um, you know, I have a son. I'm, I, my entire life revolves around him. Um, and you know, the biggest parents fears, like if that's the kind of thing that I can see, I, there probably are no limits to what that might do to me. 
so that's something I don't even like to look directly at. Um, you know, but also when you have like sort of an external motivation, you know, something, something from the outside, like it's easy to say, well, I wouldn't believe that or I wouldn't let it affect me. But when it throws that lure, when it throws that particular lure, and even in a sense of like, if you haven't lost somebody, but what if it's, this is what you have to do to keep your child safe. You know, the, there, there's a danger lurking. There's something bad that's going to happen to them. This is, you know, these are the things you need to explore. You have to be on your guard because again, you know, as a parent, especially with young kids, everything's a threat that you worry about to some degree. You know, you can't open a, an internet browser without finding 17 clickbait stories about, you know, kids dying in these horrible, like weird, you know, scenarios. And then you're like, well, they're never going to eat a hot dog again, for God's sake, you know, <laughs> and, and it's that right. kind of thing that I can see really being effective. And it, you don't have to have kids for that to be a thing. Um, you know, your dog, like your, you know, your spouse, your best friend, your, your sister, your mom, like any of these things, we have these relationships that make us vulnerable. And to me, the idea of an insanity or, you know, not even insanity, but a perceived or an obsession that goes down that track, we're all vulnerable to because we have people that we love and that we care about. Sorry, that was not an answer at all. That was a complete no. non-answer, a no, really no. long one. <laughs> While you were answering, I was kicking myself because I re I realized I effectively asked one of the dumbest questions in horror, <laughs> like in the horror verse of like, what's the scariest movie? Like, no, you idiot. <laughs> Obviously, it's personal. Um, the the scariest movie for one person is not going to be the scariest movie for another person. It's a dumb question, and I no, it's asked actually not. You. The scariest movie of all time is Terrified, the Argentinian one from like two thousand. Okay, that's a flat out. Sorry, that's the scariest one. <laughs> I tried watching Terrified, accidentally turned on Terrifier instead, yeah. really enjoyed it, but was like, this is not the scariest thing, and realized a couple weeks after the fact, oh, there's a, the, the letters. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I still got to come back and watch Terrified at some point, because I hear, I hear that a lot. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, I had to, and I was very much like, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong horror fan. I was like, I mean, okay, sure. Let's watch it. Let's see how scary it is. Yeah, no, completely like the first like five minutes, I'm like, okay, decent setup. I can see this. Oh my God. You no. Know, and it just keeps going from there. And like, I, at the time that it was over, like, I was like, I just sat there on my couch like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. So no, I, yeah, that, that's my, the, yeah. But, but yeah, a lot of stuff is subjective. Absolutely, it's subjective. But honestly, I don't think it's a dumb question. I love hearing people's answers to it because I love to explore what's scary. And I love to explore what's scary to other people, even if it's not something that taps into my fears. I don't know. I, I feel like a broken record. This is something I say a lot. Um, but I think it's very just uh, precinct. I think it's on point. Um, we know each other best through our stories. And since I'm a horror fan, to me, what's interesting is, you know, what scares you and not in like a creepy, I'm, I'm, you know, jigsaw or whatever. I'm going to fuck with you. <laughs> but like, a that tells me so much about somebody's inner workings, you know, and their humanity. It's like, what is the thing that fucks with you the most? Well, it's this, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I get that. So without, without getting too deep into the movie, um, we watched for Caitlin Marceau's episode, we watched Mama, uh, and my wife and I watched it together. And she had the misimpression that we were watching Ma, the Blumhouse movie with the uh with the 
lady that I don't know maybe kills a bunch of frat kids or something like that. Oh, um, it didn't look horrifyingly scary. It looked like a fun slasher kind of a movie. Um, yeah. So she walked into Mama Guillermo Guillermo del Toro's expecting that, and in the first like ten minutes of the movie, there's these two little kids whose parents br- whose whose dad brings them out to a cabin in the woods. He dies. The kids are just abandoned in the woods, totally by themselves. And she just stood up and walked out of the room. Like, I can't. We're not doing this. It's maybe not the scariest movie in the world, but just for her and even for me sitting there on the couch, it was like, yeah, no, this is the thing that like, that's the thing that gets to me. I, I I don't want to watch the rest of this movie. I will for Caitlin's episode. Caitlin. <laughs> um, you're welcome, Caitlin. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, right. Um, but like, I feel like, yeah, like you're saying, kind of everybody has that thing that needles at them or that thing that'll get under their skin more than anybody else's skin. And if I've learned anything from these Mothman uh, pieces, it's that Mothman will find that thing and Mothman will be a dick about it. <laughs> that's um, his legacy mothman you're a dick <laughs> you're a dick um but i feel like this builds up really really well to below um so if you would like to set the stage for us uh what is below about uh maybe there was this twitter twent tri- twitter trend a little <laughs> while ago uh, of uh what's the story about what's the story really about? Um, <laughs> could you could you give us the what's the story about? What's the story really about with Below here? Yeah, and I will do it very poorly because I am super bad at summarizing anything. <laughs> um, but so what the story is about on the surface is it's my take on the Mothman legend. It's, um, you know, I knew, I knew that I wanted to write something about Mothman, but I didn't want to just like regurgitate you know, legends or anything like that. Um, I wanted it to dovetail with something. I wanted it to mean, I mean, not mean something in some great, you know, overarching elevated horror sense, but I wanted it to connect to me on an emotional level so that I could really put myself into it. Um, And so on the surface, it's about a woman named Addie who is driving to a horror convention by herself. Um, It's kind of an independence thing for her because she's recently separated from her husband and, you know, she's, she's doing things that scare her. Um, you know, on purpose to try to kind of expand her life a little bit. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a, there's a near miss car accident, uh, with this kind of creepy dude. And then she's kind of trying to recover from that. And this truck driver Mads, you know, says he'll, he'll kind of lead her through the mountains and, um, anybody who's driven in like snow or rain or really bad conditions in the mountains. Like I have like attached myself to the back of like semis you know to the point where they're like will you please fuck off and i'm like no you're my shield and i don't care how slow you go i am staying back here um and then something happens to him and she has to decide like you know what how much do i owe this stranger what am i going to do and obviously she you know goes after him as always to be a really short book um right. so you know that's kind of the surface level and then sort of the internal pinnings of it are you know um and it's so funny to me because i have seen people say and it's valid. Uh, I've seen people say like, fuck no, who would go after a stranger like that? I'd be driving the fuck on, you know, that is not my problem. He didn't do that much for me. Totally valid. Um, I know like my, you know, part of this idea came to me while I was driving by myself and another part came to me while I was driving with my husband. 
no shade to my husband. He's a great guy. I know 100% if it happens when he's in the car, he's going to be like, drive on now. We are not stopping for shit. Fuck that guy. Um, you know, and, and that's valid. But for me, I know that there's like this guilt complex that would start up and I, you know, I would, I would need to, I would need to help him. Um, and it has nothing to do with like me being some altruistic good person. I just have a super overactive fucking guilt complex. Um, so, you know, that, that would be my thing. And so a lot of this just has to do with, I just, I really thought the ambiguity of Mothman was interesting. And I thought that it had so much to do with who experienced it and how. And so for me, it was, how does Addie experience this? How, how, you know, what does it do to her and for her? And a lot of it has to do too with like, um, it's a, it's a little bit twofold here for me because one of the things is I just, one of my most hated horror tropes is, um, that you have somebody that you've known for years, like maybe you've been married 20 years, you know, and you trust them implicitly and all this kind of stuff. But the second they say like, dude, man, I totally just saw a face in the mirror. That was fucked up. And you're like, that's it. You're being committed as though that's something you can do easily for one thing. Right. And, and as though that's something that a like a reasonable human would do. Like, no, you're like, shit, really? That's messed up. You know, like, so I dislike that trope of an immediate disbelief of anything that's outside of the realm of like normal, you know, possibility. And the other half is like, Part of why that bugs me is because it is a thing. Women um, get disbelieved a lot. And I don't think people do it intentionally. I really just, I think that's what's so insidious. I don't think people are like, I'm going to get up today and disbelieve everything a woman says to me. That's my goal in life. It's just that it's easier to dismiss it. If you say, well, you didn't really see that, then I don't have to go explore what you might have actually seen and solved the problem. If you say... Eh, he probably didn't mean to grab your tit, then you don't have to explore why you're friends with a complete fucking asshole. You know, all of these things are about self-comfort. And I think almost everyone is guilty of it. But again, with women, I have just, I've noticed it over my 40 years of being a woman. Um, I think I just said 40 years of being a woman, but you know, (laughs) a woman, whatever, all of these things. Um, that it's just a thing. And I, I have these intrinsic, totally involuntary mechanisms that I use to deprecate myself in an attempt to make people take me seriously or feel like they don't have to dismiss me out of hand. Like if I say, man, this is great. You know, it probably didn't really happen. Like, I don't know. It's so weird, but here's what I experienced. Isn't that weird? You know, these sorts of things that you do to try and make yourself be seen as somebody who doesn't have to be immediately dismissed. Um, stupid stuff like as a woman like you feel and oh my god I do this to I'm I am not some great person who like transcends this stereotype I put so many exclamation points in all of my emails like my work emails I'm like (laughs) thanks so much you're awesome no worries I'm happy to do that for you and I know better than that but like but I've when as a female if you don't a lot of times it's like, wow, you uh, you seem really short with me there. And it's like you literally just answered a question. So it's this thing of dismissing and rewriting someone else's experiences as your own. It's like, okay, this happened to me. Nah, I think it was this. And then option B is what goes into the history books or goes into the report or whatever. And that's frustrating. Um, you know, and 
I don't know. That that was just something I kind of wanted to explore at the time too. Um, I can't exactly remember why. I don't know if it was something that had happened to me recently or was just something that kind of came about um, as a result of it. But it was interesting because I was describing it to my sister when I was almost done with the manuscript. And I was talking about, you know, like gaslighting and that kind of stuff and like, you know, not being believed. And I was explaining to her, you know, what I had, what I had done with Mothman. And she goes, so honestly, Mothman's kind of gaslighting there too, isn't he? And I'm like, I let my own rendition of Mothman gaslight me. That's <laughs> bad. Oh my God. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even the, even the, like your own mental rendering of Mothman is a dick. It's bad. <laughs> and I accepted it. I was like, oh, no, he's a good dude. Oh, no, he's not. What the hell? <laughs> okay, so you touched on so much stuff that I want to come back to there. See, I'm bad um, at summarizing. I told you. <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is fantastic. Um, so the, the whole idea of Mothman kind of playing around with people and giving them these prophetic ideas and giving them to Addie and then having Addie just put through the freaking ringer of people not believing her mm-hmm. or um, starting to wade into spoiler territory here. If you have not read below, please turn the podcast off now and go treat yourself. Um, but then come back after, come back after. Right. Then come back after. Um, so hopefully they took our advice there. Okay. Only people left that have listened to it, read it. Cool. Here we go. Um, not only is she kind of being gaslit by Mothman here, but there's also this element as she's descending below the surface of everything um, that she's not even sure if her messages are getting out there. So there's this there's this element of maybe people are hearing her and just not believing her, or maybe her message isn't getting out there. Either way, she's not totally sure how alone she is in all of this, and that just it just builds layer upon layer of that as she goes down, and it's. I don't know. It, it just blew my mind how many different elements of her trying to be heard there were until she came back to the surface and kind of went through her ordeal. And then she gets back in the cop car and we'll get to that part later. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I love reading your novellas especially i have not gotten to whispers in the dark yet i'm so sorry about that it is oh no it's it's longer and it's also just a totally different story it's so yeah no no worries okay that's expensive i did not set the price on that but it's like the paperback is like 20 bucks i think that's excessive yeah right (laughs) no get the kindle (laughs) um but with with crossroads and with below Um, You have this really great talent for bringing us into a like headspace with something to say Um, beyond just the horrific elements that are at play here. um, We've got in Crossroads, we've got this um, we've got this look at what it's like to be a mother, um, to have this deep connection with your child and to try to grapple with them and their loss. Um, I have never been a mother before, um, so uh, I am I am younger white male. There are a lot of different lenses that I have not gotten to see the world through before, and yet through your stories, I get just like even a fraction of an idea of what these different outlooks are like, uh, being a mother or like in Below, 
being a female in this world out for a drive in the middle of the night. Like that is something that I've never had to worry about before. Um, and yet as Addie's pulling into these truck stops and as Addie's uh, pulling up to this bridge where the trucks run off of it and she's considering all the different dangers in those scenarios, there's things popping into her head that I'm just like, holy crap. Uh, this this is really <laughs> fucked up. Like Mothman hasn't even shown up yet. And <laughs> I'm genuinely scared for Addie. I do not trust that trucker. Uh, I do not trust him coming up to the window and trying to hand her a CV radio. Like all of the potentially malicious intents behind that. I think you do a great job of channeling and giving people like little insights into. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but then, um, so uh, I'm trying to think of what question I want to ask next. I really want to jump back to your uh, your quote at the end in the cop car, but I want to build up to that a little better. <laughs> um, little, little lore for everybody to stay tuned in the episode, because there's something amazing we could talk about near the end here. Um, as Addie goes down the hill, goes into the hill to um, investigate this this trucker's demise. I'm sorry, I lost his name somewhere. Mads. 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 That's yeah. it. Um, as she goes down the hill to check on Mads's potential demise, things start getting really freaking weird. Um, beyond just um, Mothman might be like telling her weird things or like watching her, like all these other potentially creepy things. Um, once she gets into the cave, things start morphing around her. She starts seeing things that might be there or might not be there. Um, what was your, I guess, intent with, uh, everything shifting around in the caves? What was the journey you tried to send Addie on here? Well, and that sort of goes hand in hand with, with what I was talking about before, as far as like, buying into and trusting your own experiences. Um, because I also think, and again, I'm not in anyone else's head, so I can only say what occurs to me as things are happening. Um, I have had what I would consider supernatural experiences. I have been with my son when he has had what I would consider supernatural experiences. It certainly seemed that way to me. And it was imperative to me to simply believe him implicitly and remove him from what was frightening him. Um, and so to me, it was like this idea of as crazy things happen around you, do you decide, well, the only answer is that I'm crazy. Or do you say, this is where I'm at. I still feel like myself. Um, there still seems to be a viable threat here and I'm going to operate as though it's reality because this is how reality appears to me right now. And although I didn't necessarily do it with this in, intent or with this in mind, I, I often say like, I seriously like just set out to tell the story and then sort of like the feminist, uh, and, and the female experience just rolls into it. You know, that's just how it works for me. Um, you know, you're, you're so often told uh, that something's not a threat or that if you think it's a threat, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, you know, and really it's just a matter of actually, no, I don't feel safe in this situation. I'm going to remove myself. And people act like you have committed some major atrocity by deciding not to be alone with somebody. Um, you've ruined this man's life by not wanting to get in a car with him, that just weird stuff. And so you're just often told that something is not a threat, that you're being ridiculous. Um, 
and you know that you're that you're you know worst of all uh you're being vain you just think you're so hot you think every man wants you you know and so that's why you're scared of this one dude and it's it's it is insidious and it's terrifying um and so to me it's like you know, I watch these things and, um, it is certainly not that I have ever failed to stand up for myself. I have often, um, failed to do so. It's very hard to do so when it's just you, uh, in particular, the younger that you are is, is my experience. Um, but when I watch horror movies and it's just such a great thing about horror is the way that it translates to the rest of our lives, the way that it's like, a, you know, often a possibly unintended metaphor for other things that we deal with in real life. Um, for me, it's like, you know, I start seeing ghosts or whatever. I'm not going to say like, well, I must be crazy. I'm sure going to trust someone else's version of reality because this just can't be. It's like, okay, I see a ghost. The ghost is coming out with me a knife. I'm going to run from the fucking ghost with the knife. I'm not going to sit and be like, there are no such thing as ghosts and then get knife through my fucking sternum, you know? So, so that was part of it is just like not letting either someone else specifically and you know in this case a lot of times brian her husband's her ex-husband's voice in her head you know of, of telling her what you know what's real and what isn't she's not going to let that replace it because she's like no i'm a person with thoughts and experiences and this is what i'm experiencing now so this is valid yeah um and that that was such a fun in the story way to approach that was having her husband's voice in her head and her having to tamp that down and be like, no, I am me. I don't need, I don't need his external or like externally planted internally um, influence, like driving my decisions. Like, let me do this. And then also having quote unquote Mads or Mothman, who knows, uh, talking to her through the CV radio, like all of these voices talking at her, even when she's, totally alone and isolated in a cave um she she's still having these battles against everybody else around her and i, I just i don't know i thought it was all brilliant thank um, you i appreciate it <laughs> i'm so glad that my neuroses are you know worthwhile in some way <laughs> yes 100 <laughs> percent um you mentioned something earlier in that answer, though, that I don't I, I don't want to just let go, um, especially on a Mothman episode when we're talking about like supernatural influences and like them conglomerating around Mothman or not or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you've had some supernatural experiences. Is that something you'd be willing to talk about? Oh, yeah, of course. No, I'm, I will, I'll admit to anybody, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm a believer. I believe in ghosts um, and I believe in you know, just things that we don't understand. Um, and to me, you know, I had like a few things happen, uh, that were more physical, like something would manipulate something, uh, my answering machine. Um, when I was a teenager that happened a couple times and, and I saw things, um, and also, um, there, you know, there would be this thing where I would get, like an impression of something that wasn't exactly like visible in like the normal plane, but it, it's as though it was like right behind like a sheer sort of curtain, like where I would get a vision of, and, and that, that does not mean I at all think that it's necessarily true. It's not like I'm like, oh, I saw this vision and this is what happened. But like uh, when we lived in Tennessee, my mom was looking at this, you know, really kind of cool, like older, like this building broken up into condos and we were touring it and looking at it and I wasn't even necessarily going to live there because I was a little bit older. I was getting ready to move out. Um, but like I walk into this bathroom and 
it's, it's hard to explain, but it's like, it's not like I saw this thing, like, you know, oh my gosh, like right here. But I had this just impression, like just behind the veil of uh, a woman hanging from the, um, from the bathtub, you know, like, uh, what, whatever there, the, I keep wanting to say stall, but you know, what, whatever she's you yeah. know hanging from it or something, um, which was creepy to me. But of course you're going to be like, eh, okay, that's maybe just a weird thought that popped into my head. Although we'll say that we brought our dogs with us and they lost their shit. Like there was one place where when I had been there before, I was like, it was like this spot in the kitchen. I was like, that just looks like a fucking black void to me. It's like a fucking black hole. And that was where my mom was planning to put their food dishes. And so they like went over to it. They saw it and they lost their shit and just like took off running. I was like, okay, I feel somewhat validated. Um, you know, so little stuff like that. That's, it's not like, oh my gosh, it's groundbreaking. I'm going to convince everyone that ghosts exist. But yeah, with my kid, it's been a little bit more actually frightening um, because it's scary when he sees something I can't. Um, and we had, you know, we've had a number of instances where something freaked him out. And I was like, okay, I think something's going on here. Um, but the, the kind of the most like on point one where I was like, that's it. We're getting the fuck out of here. I was taking it. I took him to Ashland, which is the Henry Clay estate in Lexington. Um, and we've been there a number of times grounds, beautiful. We just go, you know, fuck around, especially during the pandemic. I would take him every morning, like somewhere we would go somewhere. So this place he was walking through and there is what is they call, I think it was like this, the old smoke room where they would hang like smoked meats or something. And there's no, there's no indication that anything ever happened there. You know, it's not that part's not supposed to be haunted. I don't even know if any of it's supposed to be haunted, but it's a, it's a room. It's just not super big. It's, you know, it's just a standalone thing, like maybe eight by 10, something like that, you know, somewhat high ceilings looks a little bit like a barn and he steps into it. And there's, there's obviously no one else there. There's not a lot there that could hide anybody. There's nothing. He steps over the threshold and he stops and he's looking in the corner and he's like, mommy, I want to leave. That man's looking at me and he doesn't like us here. And I was like, fuck this, you know, and you just, you just, yep. you take the fuck off and go. Um, you know, and I feel like it's one of those things, like, I I think that he experienced something. I also think that it's more common for kids, especially younger kids, to experience it. Because in my opinion, they're just closer to the veil. Um, yep. He used to see things a lot more often that's, that's edged off as he's gotten older. But, you know, it's just something, it is something that I believe in implicitly. I'm 100% on the same page. Uh, so my kid same like eerily similar story um it it was in his room though um and i think i i took a video of him doing it um one night while we were getting ready for bed he's just sitting there looking up into the top like top left corner of his room uh and just like whispering he's watching us like what the oh god (laughs) um and it's not like He's seen some scarier stuff with me. Like he's seen Scooby-Doo and he's seen Gravity Falls and stuff like that. But like when he did that and when I got the video of him doing that, like he was not at an age where he was like, let's fuck with dad. Um, It just like wasn't a thought process of his yet. Like when he said stuff, it was because like he was looking at a thing or he was thinking about a thing or whatever. Um, and there would also be times on walks where he'd just like look into the woods nearby and say hi and just like keep going. It's like, yeah. what are you? <laughs> Please don't do that again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I truly believe like 
you're saying like there's something about our youths and i don't know if it's just like we haven't built in that filter of oh this is what's supposed to be happening so i'm just going to reset my brain here um I, I don't i don't know what the explanation is before it but like even with myself like the one supernatural ish experience i had right after my grandfather died we went down for a visitation and his thing with me was always giving me graham crackers um, so we were at his house for like visitation stuff, uh, a- after the funeral. And I just woke up this morning with a distinct taste of graham crackers in my mouth, and, like this strong feeling that like he was in the room with me and it was yeah. nothing like concrete, like you're saying, but it's like yeah. all these just little things, but it was only when I was a kid, like since I've grown up, like nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that's why it's important. You know, it's important to listen, and and that's why it's it's so funny because when you become a parent and you start to your your goal becomes less self, not self centered in in a bad connotation, but you know, like when you're able to just be like, okay, my my self is my primary concern. Another being becomes your primary concern, and to me, it becomes no longer a luxury that I have to question something like that. I can question my own experiences up one side, down the other. If it's real to him, it's real to me. And that means that something needs to be done. I need to remove him from the situation. I need to protect him in whatever way. Um, And I think that, you know, that's part of it that falls into it too. It's, It's why it's like when we don't believe people in whatever that they're talking about is something that's a threat when we just say that's not a thing, it's not real, we have victimized them all over again with, I mean, seriously, with anything, with, you know, if, if my son calls me into the room because he's scared and this happened after, so we used to go to Lexington Cemetery all the time. Um, it's beautiful, 170 acres. It's just gorgeous. And, and, you know, it's, it's fairly old. There's a lot of old graves and it was just, just, fantastic place. Never had a problem with it. Um, until one time we were there and we were exploring a new section that we hadn't been at before. And he just froze and was staring up at this monument that was like an angel. And I would seen all kinds of weird monuments there. Um, but this one, for whatever reason, just like caught his notice and, and he froze. And then he took off running and hid behind another gravestone quite some ways away, but wouldn't take his eyes off this thing. So I took a picture of it because I was like, well, I want to make sure we don't go back to, you know, to this particular place so that I would know, you know, where it was, but I actually ended up never taking him back there because for a while after that, um, he would see things in his room and he said, and this is, I'll preface this by saying he is around, um, African-American people all the time. Like his, you know, his, many of his teachers, he's got lots of friends, all this kind of stuff. So it's, he does not describe people of African descent as black. Um, he, you know, so when he says there are these black boys in my room, to me, that was indicative of like shadow people because right. he said they're on the ceiling. There's little black boys on the ceiling and they don't like me. And they were in his room. And like, you know, to me, it's like, okay, I don't see them. At no point does this make me feel like there's not something to be dealt with here. Right. And it doesn't matter whether it's, real or whether it's something he's just experiencing it, you have to give somebody an ear. You need to listen to them and you have to give them tools. You know, so we ended up, I just talked to a girlfriend of mine who's very sensitive and she said, Oh yeah, there's a reason I don't go there. Um, 
And she told me just to get some crystals. She told me which ones to get and have him hold them and, you know, whatever. And we did some kind of cleansing stuff and he stopped experiencing the problem. So to me, it's like, that's a, that's a threat, whether or not there's a physical threat there. That's scary as hell. Yeah. And I, you know, you, you believe because you need to in the moment and you help whoever deal with it. Sorry, I don't know why I got in this track, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We we've been talking about ghosts and shit for the last like 15, 20 minutes. We are way away from below at this point, but this is good. Very much so. <laughs> um, I guess I'll I'll end on a slightly lighter note, and then use this lighter note to uh, to swing us into the uh, another lighter note from below. But um, to your point about like just trusting them and knowing what they need in that moment, like my son came into our room a week ago a dinosaur is eating my bed and he was freaked out clearly there's no dinosaur eating his bed but (laughs) all right buddy come here you can sleep in the bed tonight um but it's just like if i had just been a dick to him in that moment like there's no dinosaur go back to your room like that might have traumatized him that might have paralyzed him whether the thing was there or not like just being there for people is huge Yes, uh, absolutely. People. I agree. I agree. Um, but then, okay, so back to below then. So <laughs> Addie goes through this whole ordeal, um, hearing voices, seeing like corpses bisected and like falling all over the place. And it's great. And there's something in the water <laughs> and like ah, all the great creepy stuff. A lot of the book gave me very The Descent vibes. Uh, with just the claustrophobia and the, that's like, awesome because that movie attacking scares the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to pull this up. I don't want to misquote this at all because when she finally gets back to the top, um, and she she gets saved by this policeman who is, I guess, on patrol, um, and she gets into the back of the cop car. It's not over, even though it feels like it should be over. Um, yeah somebody gets in the front seat of the passenger, uh, the the passenger seat of the cop car um, and starts talking to her. And it's kind of clearly like a Mothman stand in or a Mothman adjacent or something, something like that. Um, It's a little vague, just like all the Mothman stuff is, which I think that was great. But she like takes this moment as he's trying to gaslight her there it is and like finally like spit something back out at one of these people that have been like coming at her all story long the quote is you are a ridiculous fucking fuck who can't even get clothes that fit (laughs) (laughs) and yes what a line (laughs) where did that come from Because clothes that don't fit are not part of the Mothman. <laughs> like, well, actually, they are. are they? Oh um, my gosh! In, okay, yeah. In in Keel's original Mothman book, one because you mentioned earlier, you know, it's these people who are like, like people, but not quite. They just get it like ten percent wrong. And one of the things he talks about was always like their their pants were just always like a little bit too short. Their sleeves were a little bit too short. They, you know, just like they, they were just, they were, they were wearing these sort of ill-fitting suits that were not so bad to be ridiculous, but they're just like, that's just not quite right, you know? Yeah. And at that point, it's just for her, it's, you know, and I think some of this comes from me being 40 and very tired, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's like, oh my God, like just, 
you know, part of it too is like this idea that he's like, oh, you you don't talk about it. You know, this thing, it's like, you literally suck me into a vortex of insanity. You cause this. You do crazy things to me all night long. And you're like, you better not talk about it. You've looked at it. You know, it's like, fuck you. You, you made this happen. Stop making vague threats and get something that fits. <laughs> Have some fucking sweatpants. I don't care. <laughs> the clothes thing from Keel was totally lost on me. So I, it just made that insult even better. Like, one, hell yes, Addy. Two, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I want that to be one of my new go to in- insults whenever somebody's pissing me off too much. Like, yeah, you're a ridiculous fucking fuck and you can't even get close. You know, your clothes don't even fit. Get the pants <laughs> that fit. But from there on out, Addie, like Addie's like rebirth, it feels like, uh, again, very dissentish, is just great. Like she's standing up for herself. She's not taking anyone's shit anymore. Like she goes back to the police station and they try to gaslight her and she like sees them joking around with her husband and making fun of her or something. She's just like, you know, fuck this. I don't need this. She walks out of the police station and very much like just taking her story into her own hands. And it's this great moment of empowerment. Um, was that this feels like a dumb question, but was that always going to be the ending? Was that always kind of the driving point for this story? Not really. Um, because with this one, with Crossroads, I kind of knew the ending, but it was going to go one of two ways. And I wasn't sure until I got to the end, which way it would go with below. I just kind of was following the thread and waited to see what happened to Addie. Um, and you know, on this, it was like, I just, I kind of wanted it to have an effect on her life overall. And it doesn't have to be a, like, that's it. Everything's perfect. I'm, I'm going to do everything perfect from now on. You know, I'm never going to make another fuck up, but it's again, you know, I'm 40 and tired. And a lot of that has to do with like, after a number, so much of it has to do with me. It has to do with me acquiescing to so many things that I shouldn't have. Um, you know, and not even anything nefarious, but it's like, just have an opinion, Hightower, you know, just do like do a thing, say what you want. Um, and don't let people talk down to you because it, it happens so often. And a lot of times you just let it happen just to get out of the scenario or because you're so taken aback in the moment that you don't know what to say. Um, but the, again, it happens. It, I used to let it happen a lot more when I was younger. And now that I'm older, I'm just like, you exhaust me. And also you bore me. <laughs> and, you know, that's just unforgivable. So just, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm done listening. Like, I'll, I will just get up and remove myself from situations that I'm like, eh, you're not even worth my time to attempt to educate. So, in a, you know, in a way, it's like Addie's a little bit of an older character. Um, and it's just, you know, fine. Okay. I've been through this shit with Mothman. He didn't make me kneel. I'm sure not going to kneel to your bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of times as I was reading below, it, it felt very much like we were maybe in your head uh, with the, on the way to a horror convention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, nice. I, I like that. I like the connections. Thank you. Okay. So let's, let's kind of wrap this up with the, the questions from Twitter. So fantastic. I, uh, I threw this out to Twitter right before the episode. We got a couple of people chiming in with questions for you. Starting off with Brian Combs, who asked, who would win in a fight, Mothman or a Chupacabra? Definitely the Chupacabra. Because that thing has an intention. It has some speed. It's got some resilience. Mothman's too busy being vague and ambiguous. Before he got his first like weird, a tragedy will happen on the... <laughs> Bro, ripped right the fuck out. Chupacabra, hands down. 
drained of blood or whatever it is inside of Mothman. That 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 ass just wasted, just done. <laughs> uh, it would be all flabby and like mm. bloodless. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, Mother Suspiria wants to know why did you pick Mothman over all the other cryptids? I feel like we kind of hit that on hit on that in the episode already. Uh, yeah. But part two of the question. Are there more Mothmen throughout the world of your story, or is it regional confined to that particular thin space? And that is an interesting question, um, because I don't know if there have been, you know, wider range sightings of such a thing. Um, I'm sure there have been like, you know, I mean, if you watch Ancient Aliens, then sure, there, you know, there have been that kind of thing all through history and there are cave paintings aliens, you know. Um, but I feel like this particular entity seems to be a little bit contained to that area. Um, and I don't know if it's a thin veil sort of thing or if it's an electromagnetic thing. Um, in a way, it sort of seems like that, that that's some central focus for uh, something. Um, but it does seem regional to me. That's my okay. take. Yeah. So West Virginia, Mountain Hollows, take me home or stay very far away from home. <laughs> and then finally, we've got Vincent Cava who asked, can I protect myself from the Mothman by stocking up on a shit ton of mothballs? To an extent. It's actually no one no one realizes, but that's the reason Mothman's eyes are so red. It's those fucking mothballs. <laughs> they just, they, you know, they're, they're an irritant. So he's he might stay away. It's kind of like if you have the house with the barking dog, they might go to the next house or he might just decide that you've annoyed him enough that he's going to deal with the allergic reaction and come do his Mothman thing at you. Vincent. So be careful. (laughs) Brilliant. So I think that just about wraps us up. Laurel, thank you so much for joining us. This was a blast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is fun. If any of our listeners want to get connected with you, want to find your books, anything like that, uh, what are your socials? It's such a fraught question at the moment, isn't it? (laughs) For (laughs) now, I'm on Twitter a lot at Hightower Laurel. I'm also on TikTok at Laurel Hightower. Um, And I have a a really out-of-date website that I'm I promise I'm talking to someone about updating. It's just laurelhightower.com. And uh, even though it's terribly out of date, the contact form works. So there's that. I feel like that's the most frustrating thing being an author is that stupid website. Like (laughs) I put out another book. Yay. Oh God, I've got to update the website. (laughs) And I don't even know. I don't know how (laughs) I had someone do it for me before and now I've got to find someone else to do it. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I, I just, I really need to, I got called out on it by one of my anthology editors. (laughs) <laughs> it was like 2018 really <laughs> my bad <laughs> um oh that's another question that i mean to throw into this last little section um speaking of anthologies i know you are crazy busy all the time um are there any like nearsighted projects coming up that you would like to pitch to everybody listening oh um well, so I have my collection coming out in March, which is, uh, we don't have a specific date for it sometime in March. It's called Every Woman Knows This, and it's coming out through, um, um, oh my God, what did I just, that is not the right one. 
Death Knell. Jesus. Okay. Death Knell <laughs> Press, which is Red Lego's press. Um, so that'll be out in March. I'm really excited about that. It's going to have some illustrations from Red as well. And she's a great artist. And I have a novel coming out through Flame Tree Press um, in, I think, September or October of next year called Silent Key. Uh, which is a little bit more in the vein of Whispers in the Dark, um, kind of, you know, it's a longer, some more invested in the characters, splody things, ghosts, you know. I, I really enjoyed writing it. So that's what I got coming up. And then I'm, I'm just, I'm working on a few things. I've got a really fun collaboration I'm doing right now with Matt Wildeson. Um, I'm finishing up another novella of wanting to edit. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with any of that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on here. Uh, everybody, please go check out Below and Crossroads and Whispers in the Dark and everything else Laurel Hightower has ever touched. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're, they are fantastic. Closing things for the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or uh, gaze into the blinding red eyes of the streaming service of your choice. Uh, <laughs> that's all for tonight. Uh, see you next time. Stay spooky. <laughs>